0: section two of our national parks this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. our national parks by john muir chapter one part two the vast pacific coast reserves in washington and oregon the cascade washington mount rainier olympic bull run and ashland named in order of size include more than twelve million five hundred thousand acres of magnificent forests of beautiful and gigantic trees they extend over the wild unexplored olympic mountains and both flanks of the cascade range the wet and the dry on the east side of the cascades the woods are sunny and open and contain principally yellow pine of moderate size but of great value as a cover for the irrigating streams that flow into the dry interior where agriculture on the grand scale is being carried on along the moist balmy foggy west flank of the mountains facing the sea the woods reach their highest development and excepting the california redwoods are the heaviest on the continent they are made up mostly of the douglas spruce pseudotsuga taxifolia with the giant arborvitae or cedar and several species of fir and hemlock in varying abundance forming a forest kingdom unlike any other in which limb meets limb touching and overlapping in bright lively triumphant exuberance two hundred and fifty three hundred or even four hundred feet above the shady mossy ground over all the other species the douglas spruce reigns supreme it is not only a large tree the tallest in america next to the redwood but a very beautiful one with bright green drooping foliage handsome pendant cones and a shaft exquisitely straight and round and regular forming extensive forest by itself in many places it lifts its spiry tops into the sky close together with as even a growth as a well tilled field of grain no ground has been better tilled for wheat than these cascade mountains for trees they were ploughed by mighty glaciers and harrowed and mellowed and outspread by the broad streams that flowed from the ice ploughs as they were withdrawn at the close of the glacial period the proportion to its weight when dry douglas spruce timber is perhaps stronger than any of the other large conifer in the country and being tough durable and elastic it is admirably suited for shipbuilding, piles and heavy timbers in general but its hardness and liability to warp when it is cut into boards renders it unfit for fine work on the lumber markets of california it is called oregon pine when lumbering is going on in the best douglas woods especially about puget sound Many of the long slender bowls are saved for spars, and so superior is their quality that they are called for in almost every shipyard in the world, and it is interesting to follow their fortunes. Failed and peeled and dragged to tidewater, they are raised again as yards and masts for ships, given iron roots and canvas foliage, decorated with flags and sent to sea, where in glad motion they go cheerily over the ocean prairie in every latitude and longitude, singing and bowing responsive to the same winds that waved them when they were in the woods after standing in one place for centuries they thus go round the world like tourists meeting many a friend from the old home forest some traveling like themselves some standing head downward in muddy harbors holding up the platforms of wharfs and others doing all kinds of hard timber work showy or hidden this wonderful tree also grows far northward in british columbia and southward along the coast of middle regions of oregon and california flourishing with the redwood wherever it can find an opening and with the sugar pine yellow pine and libosedris in the sierra it extends into the san gabriel san bernardino and san jacinto mountains of southern california it also grows well on the wasatch mountains where it is called red pine and on many parts of the rocky mountains and short interior ranges of the great basin but though thus widely distributed only in oregon washington and some parts of british columbia does it reach perfect development to one who looks from some high standpoint over its vast breadth the forest on the west side of the cascades seems all one dim dark monotonous field broken only by white volcanic cones along the summit of the range back in the untrodden wilderness a deep furred carpet of brown and yellow mosses covers the ground like a garment pressing about the feet of the trees and rising in rich bosses softly and kindly over every rock and mouldering trunk leaving no spot uncared for and dotting small prairies and fringing the meadows and the banks of streams not seen in general views we find besides the great conifers a considerable number of hardwood trees oak ash maple alder wild apple cherry arbutus nuttles flowering dogwood and in some places chestnuts in a few favorite spots the broad-leaved maple grows to a height of a hundred feet in forests by itself sending out large limbs and magnificent interlacing arches covered with mosses and ferns thus forming lofty sky gardens and rendering the underwoods delightfully cool no finer forest ceiling is to be found than these maple arches while the floor ornamented with tall ferns and rubus vines and cast into hillocks by the bulging moss-covered roots of the trees matches it well passing from beneath the heavy shadows of the woods almost anywhere one steps into lovely gardens of lilies orchids heathworts and wild roses along the lower slopes especially in oregon where the woods are less dense there are miles of rhododendron making glorious masses of purple in the spring while all about the streams and the lakes and the beaver meadows there is a rich tangle of hazel plum cherry crabapple cornel gauferia and Rubus, with myriads of flowers and abundance of other more delicate bloomers such as Ithronium, rhodia fritillaria calicortus clintonia and the lovely hydra of the north calypso besides all these bloomers there are wonderful ferneries about the many misty waterfalls some of the fronds ten feet high others the most delicate of their tribe the maidenhair fringing the rocks within reach of the highest dust of the spray while the shading trees on the cliffs above them leaning over look like eager listeners anxious to catch every tone of the restless waters in the autumn berries of every colour and flavour abound enough for birds bears and everybody particularly about the stream sides and meadows where sunshine reaches the ground huckleberries red blue and black some growing close to the ground others on bushes ten feet high galtheria berries called sal al by the indians salmon berries an inch in diameter growing in dense prickly tangles the flowers like wild roses still more beautiful than the fruit raspberries gooseberries currants blackberries and strawberries the underbrush and meadow fringes are in great part made up of these berry bushes and vines but in the depths of the woods there is not much underbrush of any kind only a thin growth of rubus huckleberry and vine maple notwithstanding the outcry against the reservations last winter in washington that uncounted farms towns and villages were included in them and that all business was threatened or blocked nearly all the mountains in which the reserves lie are still covered with virgin forests though lumbering has long been carried on with tremendous energy along their boundaries and homeseekers have explored the woods for openings available for farms however small one may wander in the heart of the reserves for weeks without meeting a human being indian or white man or any conspicuous trace of one indians used to ascend the main streams on their way to the mountains for wild goats whose wool furnished them clothing but with food in abundance on the coast there was little to draw them into the woods and the monuments they have left there are scarcely more conspicuous than those of birds and squirrels far less so than those of the beavers which have dammed streams and made clearings that will endure for centuries nor is there much in these woods to attract cattle keepers some of the first settlers made farms on the small bits of a prairie and in the comparatively open callets and chehalis valleys of washington but before the gold period most of the immigrants from the eastern states settled in the fertile and open willamette valley of oregon even now when the search for tillable land is so keen excepting the bottom lands of the rivers around puget sound there are few cleared spots in all western washington on every meadow or opening of any sort some one will be found keeping cattle raising hops or cultivating patches of grain but these spots are few and far between all the larger spaces were taken long ago therefore most of the newcomers build their cabins where the beavers built theirs they keep a few cows laboriously widen their little meadow openings by hacking girdling and burning the rim of the close pressing forest and scratch and plant among the huge blackened logs and stumps girdling and killing themselves in killing the trees most of the farmlands of washington and oregon excepting the valleys of the willamette and rogue rivers lies on the east side of the mountains the forests on the eastern slopes of the cascades fail altogether ere the foot of the range is reached stayed by drought as suddenly as on the west side they are stopped by the sea showing strikingly how dependent are these forest giants on the generous rains and fogs so often complained of in the coast climate the lower portions of the reserve are solemnly soaked in poultices in rain and fog during the winter months and there is a sad dearth of sunshine but with a little knowledge of woodcraft any one may enjoy an excursion into these woods even in the rainy season The big gray days are exhilarating, and the colors of leaf and branch and mossy bole are then at their best. The mighty trees getting their food are seen to be wide awake, every needle thrilling in the welcome nourishing storms, chanting and bowing low in glorious harmony, while every raindrop and snowflake is seen as a beneficent messenger from the sky. The snow that falls on the lower woods is mostly soft, coming through the trees in downy tufts, loading their branches and bending them down against the trunks until they look like arrows while a strange muffled silence prevails making everything impressively solemn but these lowland snowstorms and their effects quickly vanish the snow melts in a day or two sometimes in a few hours the bent branches spring up again and all the forest work is left to the fog and the rain at the same time dry snow is falling on the upper forests and mountain tops day after day often for weeks the big clouds give their flowers without ceasing as if knowing how important is the work they have to do the glitting swirling swarms thicken the blast and the trees and rocks are covered to a depth of ten to twenty feet then the mountaineer snug in a grove with bread and fire has nothing to do but gaze and listen and enjoy ever and anon the deep low roar of a storm is broken by the booming of avalanches as the snow slips from the overladen heights and crushes down the long white slopes to fill the fountain hollows all the smaller streams are crushed and buried and the young groves of spruce and fir near the edge of the timber line are gently bowed to the ground and put to sleep not again to see the light of day or stir branch or leaf until the spring these grand reservations should draw thousands of admiring visitors at least in summer yet they are neglected as if of no account and spoilers are allowed to ruin them as fast as they like footnote the outlook over forest affairs is now encouraging popular interest more practical than sentimental in whatever touches the welfare of the country forests is growing rapidly and a hopeful beginning has been made by the government in real protection for the reservations as well as for the parks from july first nineteen hundred there have been nine superintendents thirty-nine supervisors and from three hundred thirty to four hundred forty-five rangers of reservations End footnote. a few peeled spars cut here were set up in london philadelphia and chicago where they excited wondering attention but the countless hosts of living trees rejoicing at home on the mountains are scarce considered at all most travellers here are content with what they can see from car windows Or the verandas of hotels and in going from place to place cling to their precious trains and stages like direct sailors to rafts when an excursion into the woods is proposed all sorts of dangers are imagined snakes bears indians yet it is far safer to wander in god's woods than to travel on black highways or to stay at home the snake danger is so slight it is hardly worth mentioning bears are a peaceable people and mind their own business instead of going about like the devil seeking whom they may devour poor fellows they have been poisoned trapped and shot at until they have lost confidence in brother man and it is not now easy to make their acquaintance as to indians most of them are dead or civilized into useless innocence no american wilderness that i know of is so dangerous as a city home with all the modern improvements one should go to the woods for safety if for nothing else lewis and clark in their famous trip across the continent in eighteen four eighteen five did not lose a single man by indians or animals though all the west was then wild captain clark was bitten on the hand as he lay asleep that was one bite among more than a hundred men while travelling nine thousand miles loggers are far more likely to be met than indians or bears in the reserves or about their boundaries Brown, weather-tanned men with faces furrowed like bark, tired-looking, moving slowly, swaying like the trees they chop. A little of everything in the woods is fastened to their clothing, rosiny and smeared with balsam, and rubbed into it, so that their scanty outer garments grow thicker with use and never wear out. Many a forest giant have these old woodmen felled, but round-shouldered and stooping, they too are leaning over and tottering to their fall others however stand ready to take their places stout young fellows erect as saplings and always the foes of trees outnumber their friends far up the white peaks one can hardly fail to meet a wild goat or american chamois an admirable mountaineer familiar with woods and glaciers as well as rocks and in leafy thickets deer will be found while gliding about unseen there are many sleek furred animals enjoying their beautiful lives and birds also notwithstanding few are noticed in hasty walks the ousel sweetens the glens and gorges where the streams flow fastest and every grove has its singers however silent it seems thrushes linnets, warblers hummingbirds glint about the fringing bloom of the meadows and peaks and the lakes are stirred into lively pictures by waterfowl the mount rainier forest reserve should be made a national park and guarded while yet its bloom is on footnote This was done shortly after the above was written. One of the most important measures taken during the past year in connection with forest reservations was the action of Congress in withdrawing from the Mount Rainier Forest Reserve a portion of the region immediately surrounding Mount Rainier and setting it apart as a national park. Report of Commissioner of General Land Office for the year ended June 1899, but the park as it now stands is far too small. End footnote for if in the making of the west nature had what we call parks in mind places for rest inspiration and prayers this rainier region must surely be one of them in the centre of it there is a lonely mountain-cap with ice from the ice-cap glaciers radiate in every direction and young rivers from the glaciers while its flanks sweeping down in beautiful curves are clad with forests and gardens and filled with birds and animals specimens of the best of nature's treasures have been lovingly gathered here and arranged in simple symmetrical beauty within regular bounds of all the fire mountains which like beacons once blazed along the pacific coast mount rainier is the noblest in form has the most interesting forest cover and with perhaps the exception of shasta is the highest and most flowery its massive white dome rises out of the forest like a world by itself to a height of fourteen thousand to fifteen thousand feet the forests reach a height of a little over six thousand feet, and above the forests there is a zone of the loveliest flowers, fifty miles in circuit and nearly two miles wide. So closely planted and luxuriant that it seems as if nature, glad to make an open space between woods so dense and ice so deep, were economizing the precious ground and trying to see how many of her darlings she can get together in one mountain wreath—daisies and anemones geraniums columbines erythoniums larkspurs etc among which we wade knee-deep and waist-deep the bright corollas and myriads touching petal to petal picturesque detached groups of the spiry abbeys glaciocarpa stand like islands along the lower margin of the garden zone while on the upper margin there are extensive beds of brianthus cassiope calmia and other heathworts, and higher still saxifragus and drabus more and more lovely reach up to the edge of the ice altogether this is the richest subalpine garden i ever found a perfect floral elysium the icy dome needs none of man's care but unless the reserve is guarded the flower bloom will soon be killed and nothing of the forest will be left but black stump monuments the sierra of california is the most openly beautiful and useful of all the forest reserves and the largest excepting the cascade reserve of oregon and the bitter root of montana and idaho it embraces over four million acres of the grandest scenery and grandest trees on the continent and its forests are planted just where they do the most good not only for beauty but for farming in the great san joaquin valley beneath them it extends southward from the yosemite national park to the end of the range a distance of nearly two hundred miles no other coniferous forests in the world contains so many species or so many large and beautiful trees sequoia gigante king of conifers the noblest of a noble race as sir joseph hooker well says the sugar pine king of all the world's pines living or extinct the yellow pine next in rank which here reaches most perfect development forming noble towers of verdure two hundred feet high the mountain pine which braves the coldest blasts far up the mountains on grim rocky slopes and five others flourishing each in its place making eight species of pine in one forest which is still further enriched by the great douglas spruce libel two species of silver fir large trees and exquisitely beautiful the Paten hemlock the most graceful of evergreens the curious Tumian, oaks of many species maples alders poplars and flowering dogwood, all fringed with flowering underbrush, manzanita, cyanthus, wild rose, cherry, chestnut, and rhododendron. Wandering at random through these friendly approachable woods, one comes here and there to the loveliest lily gardens, some of the lilies ten feet high, and the smoothest gentian meadows, and Yosemite valleys known only to mountaineers. Once I spent a night by a campfire in Mount Shasta with Asa Gray and Sir Joseph Hooker, and knowing that they were acquainted with all the great forests of the world, I asked whether they knew any coniferous forest that rivaled that of the Sierra. They unhesitatingly said, No. In the beauty and grandeur of individual trees, and in number and variety of species, the Sierra forests surpass all others. The Sierra Reserve, proclaimed by the President of the United States in September 1893, is worth the most thoughtful care of the government for its own sake without considering its value as the fountain of the rivers on which the fertility of the great San Joaquin Valley depends. Yet it gets no care at all. In the fog of tariff, silver, and annexation politics, it is left wholly unguarded, though the management of the adjacent national parks by a few soldiers shows how well and how easily it can be preserved. In the meantime, lumbermen are allowed to spoil it at their will, and sheep in uncannibal, ravenous hordes to trample it and devour every green leaf within reach while the shepherds like destroying angels set innumerable fires which burn not only the undergrowth of seedlings on which the permanence of the forest depends but countless thousands of venerable giants if every citizen could take one walk through this reserve there would be no more trouble about its care for only in darkness does vandalism flourish the reserves of southern california The San Gabriel, San Bernardino, San Jacinto, and Trabuco, though not large, only about two million acres together, are perhaps the best appreciated. Their slopes are covered with a close, almost impenetrable growth of flowery bushes, beginning on the sides of their fertile coast valleys and the dry interior plains. Their higher ridges, however, and mountains are open, and fairly well forested with sugar pine, yellow pine, douglas spruce, liposidrus, and white fir as timber fountains they amount to little but as bird and bee pastures cover for the precious streams that irrigate the lowlands and quickly available retreats from dust and heat and care their value is incalculable good roads have been graded into them by which in a few hours lowlanders can get well up into the sky and find refuge in hospitable camps and clubhouses where while breathing reviving ozone they may absorb the beauty about them and look comfortably down on the busy towns and the most beautiful orange groves ever planted since gardening began the grand canyon reserve of arizona of nearly two million acres or the most interesting part of it as well as the rainier region should be made into a national park on account of their supreme grandeur and beauty setting out from flagstaff a station on the atchison topeka and santa fe railroad on the way to the canyon you must pass through beautiful forests of yellow pine like those of the Black Hills, but more extensive, and curious dwarf forests of nut pine and juniper, the spaces between the miniature trees planted with many interesting species of eriogenum, yucca, and cactus. After riding or walking 75 miles through these pleasure grounds, the San Francisco and other mountains, abounding in flowery park-like openings and smooth shallow valleys, with long vistas which in fineness and finish and arrangement, suggest the work of a consummate landscape artist, watching you all the way, you come to the most tremendous canyon in the world. It is abruptly countersunk in the forest plateau, so that you see nothing of it until you are suddenly stopped on its brink, with its immeasurable wealth of divinely colored and sculptured buildings before you and beneath you. No matter how far you have wandered hitherto, or how many famous gorges and valleys you have seen, this one, the Grand Canyon of the Colorado, will seem as novel to you as unearthly in color and grandeur and quantity of its architecture as if you had found it after death on some other star so incomparably lovely and grand and supreme is it above all the other canyons in our far moulded earthquake-shaken rain-washed wave-washed river and glacier sculptured world it is about six thousand feet deep where you first see it and from rim to rim ten to fifteen miles wide instead of being dependent for interest upon waterfalls depth wall sculpture and beauty of park-like floor like most other great canyons it has not waterfalls in sight and no appreciable floor-spaces the big river has just enough room to flow and roar obscurely here and there groping its way as best it can like a weary murmuring overladen traveller trying to escape from the tremendous bewildering labyrinthic abyss while its roar serves only to deepen the silence instead of being filled with air The vast space between the walls is crowded with nature's grandest buildings, a sublime city of them, painted in every color and adorned with richly fretted cornice and battlement, spire, and tower in endless variety of style and architecture. Every architectural invention of man has been anticipated, and far more in the grandest of God's terrestrial cities. End of section two.